Good morning. As you guys grab your seats, how about you put your hands together as we welcome, come on, the presence of God in every single room, in every single space that we make room for Him. Well, welcome and happy Sunday. I'm so glad that you took some time to come out and worship with us in song and worship in giving and worship in just adoring God. Uh, there is no better space you can be in on a Sunday than in the presence of God. If you're in one of our live campuses, we wanna say welcome. Thanks so much for masking up and coming along and being socially distant and I really do hope and pray that you hear something this week that literally blows your mind, takes your breath away and changes your life. Uh, if you're watching right now online, we wanna say hey and uh, we love you, uh, we miss you and we can't wait till you feel comfortable to come along to an in-person gathering. Uh, but no rush, when you're ready, we'll be ready to receive you. Uh, I wanna send a special shout out to all the children in the room, okay? So in all of our campuses, many people might not know this, but we have kids in our buildings and they have been doing such a phenomenal job paying, atten uh, paying attention and listening and learning. In fact, I know there are many, come on, adults who could learn a few lessons from how children sit under God's Word. So to all the children, hey! Um, and specifically, I wanna shout out all of my Latino friends. Right now, um, Charlie Petrago is translating this service into Spanish and it is so cool to think that there are literally thousands of people in the state of South Carolina, millions of people all around the world from a Latin speaking background, come on, who are getting to hear the good news, the gospel preached, the Bible taught. So to all my friends, hola, amigos and amigas, uh, une ceviche, por favor, that was asking for one pound of ceviche. That's basically all I've got in Spanish. Um, you'll hear it every single week. Uh, we are a life-giving church here at New Spring and we're marked by the presence of God. And by the grace of God, we're being activated to impact others, everyone around us. And that's the reason over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the middle portion of that vision that marked by the presence. You gotta understand that there is no better place for you to do life, come on, than in the presence of God. The presence of God is life-giving. The presence of God is warming. The presence of God is refining. The presence of God is directing. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at stories from the Bible about fire. Because when you go through the Bible, you will see that fire is probably the primary symbol that God uses to reveal his presence to humanity. A couple of weeks ago, my older brother, Reverend Dr. Bishop Clayton King, engaged the story about how fire was there in Genesis chapter 15 when the covenant was first made with Abraham. We get to come back into the presence of God out of our sin, out of our shame, out of our mess, out of our mistakes, because God is the one who makes the deal with us. God is the one who pays for the deal to be made with us. And he reveals that in fire in Genesis chapter 15. Last week, my younger brother, but lead pastor, Brad Cooper, 
brilliantly talked about how the presence of God is experienced when we posture ourselves correctly. Remember, posture precedes the presence of God. And I've heard countless messages about the humility that opens a pathway to experiencing the presence of God in a deep, real, and rich way, but I've never seen an image like his shoes being taken off, humbly bowing before the king. And if we could foster that spirit and that attitude in our life, we would be so much more open to what the presence of God wants to do in us and through us. We looked at the story of the fire at the burning bush and the posture that Moses took and the life that ensued. And this week, we're gonna look at another story about fire. And it's found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. It might not be as famous as the first two stories that we looked at in the first couple of weeks of this series, but this is probably the largest manifestation or symbolizing of fire in all of the Old Testament. The fire was so big, it dropped out of heaven and it hit a mountain. It occurs at a place called Mount Carmel. So if you have Bibles, would you go with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse, verse uh, we'll start at verse 20 and we'll read through and I'll, I'll explain a few things in between kind of um, these verses, but 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20, give me a little woo if you're there. Okay, cool, we got some people here who have opened up their, now if you don't have a Bible, it's all good, you can read along on the giant Jesus iPad we have installed in every single auditorium. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. The Bible says here, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the Lord and said, how long will you waver, before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Right now, Israel find themselves in a bind. They have a king, his name is Ahab, he's got a wife named Jezebel, I'll explain more about them later. But the nation of Israel is now torn between the worship of God and the worship of idols. And here Elijah is saying, hey everyone, I need you to hit the pause button, I need you to draw a line in the sand, I need everyone to stop and take stock. Who will you worship? You can worship the true and living God who has the power to give life. Or you can revolve your life around idols. Today, would you choose? Stop wavering between the two. Stop worshiping God on Sunday and then your idol on Monday. Stop pretending to be something in front of a group of friends and then a whole other thing in, another, in front of another group of friends. Choose today, stop wavering, stop flip-flopping. Today, would you choose who you will worship? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal or that idol is God, follow Him. But the people said nothing. We'll jump down to verse 30. 
Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord. I speak this out in faith that this morning at the 9.15 gathering, there are gonna be some repaired altars and true worship that will break out of this space, that will bring about the fire of God and the presence of God like people have not experienced in years, but more about that later. Repair the altar of the Lord which has been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench around that altar, large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four jars of large water, large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. You are God in my life and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I'm telling you right now, there are hearts that are turning back towards King Jesus. In a crazy, unprecedented year, there are hearts turning back towards Jesus. In a world that has dragged people left and right by fear, frustration, division, and confusion, in the name of Jesus, there are people this morning whose hearts are being turned back to Him. Worship will break out. Then, the fire of the Lord fell. Everyone say then. then. Come on, say it loud enough so our Spanish community can hear it. Then, then, then the fire of, Lord, of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God, if you're taking down notes today, I want you to write the, the title of this sermon, but more importantly, the truth we all need to lean into. That worship welcomes His presence. When we clear our hearts, when we clear our lives of the little G gods, the idols that we allow to be set up in our world and we tear them down and step into a true revelation of what worshiping God really is. The fire of God falls upon this life laid on an altar. Worship welcomes His presence. Let me pray and we're gonna jump into a really simple but potentially life-changing truth. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we welcome you. We want to feel your presence. Amen. Worship welcomes his presence. You were made for the presence of God. Did you know that? There is no greater life you'll experience. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how many ladders you climb. 
doesn't matter how many people recognize you, it doesn't matter how often you succeed in life, without the presence of God, it all amounts to nothing. And worship welcomes the presence of God, making much of God, lifting Him highest, putting Him in a place where we revolve our lives around Him, welcomes His presence because um, He's God. When we worship, it welcomes His presence. Worship is simply declaring worthiness. Worship is simply pointing at something and saying that is the most important thing in my life and everything in my life will become subject to that. Worship isn't just the slow song we sing before the preaching. Worship isn't just the 915 service. Worship isn't just that emotional music you listen to on the way to work. It is that and so much more. Worship is simply lifting something higher than everything in your life. And the cool thing is, when you worship God, you experience God like in no other environment. When you say, hey God, There are so many things vying for my energy and my affection and my attention, but you are number one. There are so many cultural currents that are raging in the earth right now, but I will not be swept away by any of them. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I put my hope in you. When you lift him highest, he turns around. And in his presence, like I've talked about before in different messages, he does four things. He defines your life. He defends your peace. He delights your soul. And he directs your steps. When you worship God, he defines you, defends you, delights you, and directs you. But the challenge is, that will be the case for anything or anyone we put into that position that isn't God as well. And that's the reason the Bible makes it really clear, like a broken record, take very careful notice of what you make biggest in your life. Because whatever you make biggest and most important in your life that isn't God is defined as an idol. And you're gonna have to entrust that idol to turn around and define you and defend your peace, delight your soul, and ultimately that idol will direct your steps. And let's be real right now. We all do it. I do it, you do it. People who have been around church a long time do it. People who are checking this whole deal out, sitting in this room right now, a little confused why an Asian guy is yelling at him, they do it. We all have a leaning towards, come on, lifting things a little higher than God. I do it. I do it with money. I lift it higher than, this is my wife's purse because I don't carry. (laughs) What's scary is a lot of people think that seems pretty appropriate to Dan Leanne's kind of outfit. (laughs) When money is the biggest thing in your world, and you lift it higher than anything, higher. What you're doing is you're turning that into an idol, and that idol's turning around, 
and it defines you. And it's entrusted with defending your peace now. It's entrusted with delighting your soul. And ultimately, as you look at your life, if you'll be honest, you'll find this idol directing your steps. That's the reason. The Bible makes it clear. Take very careful notice of what you worship. For some people, it's self-image. It's how I look in front of people. It's my status. It's my popularity. It's my position that draws so many applause. The Bible makes it clear. Take very careful notice of what you lift higher than anything else because that will turn around and be entrusted with defining you, defending you, delighting you and directing you. Come on, let's be real right now, this time of year. <laughs> we do it. We wake up in the morning and we log straight on to that website to find out if there was any recruiting news that came in overnight. The ticket is hard to come by right now, but we search so hard for one, even harder than we search for lost friends and families who don't know Jesus. And we might skip a Sunday because of the weather. Rain, hell, or shine, you're gonna see me there on Saturday. And I've got no issue with these things. I love these things. They just make terrible gods. And they're horrible at turning around and defining you and defending your peace, delighting your soul, and directing your steps. In a political season, how about these ones? And I don't mean Alabama. And I believe in good governance and I believe in exercising our rights to have a say in who makes calls and decisions, but don't lift it to the highest place. Because when you do that, it turns around and defines you. And the peace in your heart rides on the strength of these things. The joy of your heart is dictated by these things. And ultimately you find your life directed by it. It's amazing when you reflect on life how easy it is to find yourself lifting so many things so high and being defined by, defended by, delighted by, and directed by those very things. That's where Israel found themselves at this juncture. The nation of Israel, God's people, the one with whom God made an everlasting covenant at this stage in their history had pushed out the worship of the living God in preference of idols. At this point, they were Baals. At this point, they were Asherahs. And it made sense because 
living in a desert land, they needed rain and Baal was the god of rain and in an agrarian culture where they had farms, they needed their livestock to reproduce and Asherah was, was a reproductive goddess. And so it was very, very natural for them to lean into these forces that they hoped would bring about what they needed. And here Ahab and Jezebel had pushed out the presence of God and because they pushed out the presence of God, the nation of Israel found themselves in a deep and prolonged drought. Three years, no rain or no dew, no presence of God, there is no refreshing. And their nation was dry. God's presence was rare. But then God would step in through his servant Elijah whose name means my God is Yahweh and would rectify the situation. Reinstitute true worship and then the rain would fall as the fire consumes Israel in a loving way again. And just for a few minutes, I wanna lean into this story in 1 Kings 18. And I'm gonna challenge us all to open up our hearts to ask this simple question. Have we set things up in our lives, idols that push out the presence of God? And what would it look like for us to tear these idols down and to reinstitute real worship? If you're taking down notes, I would love you to write a few things down my mentor always used to tell me that a blunt pencil is more effective than a sharp mind in remembering the things that God whispers to you about. And as we look at this story, at tearing down idols and implementing true worship, I am begging you, don't see this as a message for the person to your left or to your right or that crazy person on Facebook. Look in the mirror. How did Elijah tear down idols and reinstitute the true worship that brought about the presence of God? Number one, he identified the idols. If we're gonna tear down idols and institute true worship that brings about the presence of God, we have to identify the idols in your life. We have to identify the idols in my life. We don't wanna hear it, no one likes getting the bad news that you have life killing things on our land. Yesterday I laid sod and I'll be talking about this manual labor for a good three months. It is rare in my life. And uh, we're doing some landscaping around our new house and we had a tree expert come around to look at this tiny wooded area we have at the back of our land. It's probably only about 100 square feet and I was suggested to, you know what, you should bring a tree guy in because there are some dead trees there and some things that you probably want cut out. And we walked around our wooded area and I got freaked out. Had a good old boy come along and he's walking along and he's going, you know what that is, Diane? I said, what? That's poison ivy. Oh, that's no good. You know what that is over there? No, that's poison oak. <laughs> you know what that is over there? That's poison sumac. And then he said, uh-oh, You tell me you got, I got three poison things in my little wooded area in my back and now you're going, uh-oh, that's kudzu. So what is a kudzu? 
Say, you don't want the kudzu. You're right, I don't want the kudzu. Side note, I meet people all the time who tell me that they don't wanna go to Australia because it's a dangerous place. I wanna tell you now, there are more poisonous and deadly things in my backyard than the entire nation of Australia. You wanna get scared? Live in fear because you live in South Carolina. And I didn't wanna hear that there were things on my land that were going to destroy things around those things. But the beginning of clearing my land and establishing health, come on, has to begin with a recognizing that there are things on our land that aren't life-giving, they're life-taking. And I'm here to confess to you that I've always wrestled with the idol of money and self-image. It might be a cultural thing, it might have been some of the financial struggles that my family saw growing up and me promising that that would never ever happen to me. It might be the fact that I'm a relatively weird and insecure person and I need to be looked at in a certain way. I don't know why, but for some reason, I lift these things so high and I allow them to define me. And and I beg for them to defend my peace. And when I have them in the way that I want them, they delight my soul. But if I'm real right now, I find so often in life, not God directing my steps, but these things directing my steps. And if we're going to break down the idols that rob us of true worship, we need to confess that we have idols in our life. Would you be brave enough to do that right now? Would you be brave enough to say, there are some things that I've allowed to be fostered in my life that are a little too big? Would you be brave enough to say, you know what? I always thought that was just a passion or a hobby or something that I picked up from my mother or my father, but I think it's actually become something that's so big and so loud in my life, I've entrusted my definition, my defense, my delighting and my directing to that dead God. Would you be brave enough right now to reflect on your life and to identify the idol? The second thing we need to do if we're gonna break down idols and institute true worship is not only do we have to break down the idols after identifying them, we have to bring a showdown. There just has to be a good old fashioned WWE, face to face, nose to nose, bicep to bicep showdown. And once and for all, you need to settle in your head and your heart that that thing that you build your life around isn't powerful enough to give you life, but God is alone. That's what happens here in the story. After the idols are identified, Elijah brings a showdown. Everyone, let's meet on this mountain. And if the idol can give you life, then worship it and follow it. But if God alone can give you life, break that idol and follow Him. And I wanna ask you this simple question. What has your idol? What has that big thing? What has that highest thing truly done for you? Has your worship of money given you more peace or less peace? Has your worship of money helped you sleep better or sleep worse? Has your worship of money helped you be a more honest person or a more dishonest person? Has your worship of self-image and the way you look actually caused you to be a kinder person or a less kind person? Love people better or love people worse? Come on, let's be real right now. 
Has the lifting up of your political stances actually made you a more compassionate person or a harder person? Do you have more friends now or less friends now? Do you have more anger in your life or less anger in your life? Ask the question. Bring the showdown. Find out once and for all as you ponder this question. What has your idol really done for you? Because I'm here to testify to you. I know what my God has done for me. He found me when I was 17 years old, angry and confused. He lifted my feet up off my, off my clay and He put my feet on solid ground. He set me in a family. He took me out of isolation and gave me people to speak into my life. He deal with my fear. He deal with my depression. He deal with my anxiety. He, give me a, he gave me a hope. He gave me a purpose. He gave me a future. He gave me a hot wife. He gave me so many things. And He still gives me my breath that I breathe, the food in my belly, the gas in my tank, the purpose in my days, the joy in my spirit. My God has done so much. Bring the show down. And if God is God, worship Him. Bring the show down. God is not insecure. Ask the question, What has your idol really done for you? What broken things has your idol done to you? Bring the showdown. Thirdly and lastly, bring a sacrifice. That is worship. I love last week's message when Brad took his shoes off and freaked out thousands of people because a lot of people came to church without their good socks on. But that was a beautiful image of what true humility looks like. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking more of God. When the shoes came off, something went into everyone's head and heart. And I wanna give you this picture. That's what worship is. Worship is not the emotional song before the preaching. It's that and more. Worship isn't a service you go to. It is that, but it's more. Worship is ultimately bringing a sacrifice, the thing that is highest to you and most important to you and making sure that God is just above that. That's worship. That's what happened here in this story. At the end of it, Elijah says, hey, put the bull on the altar. And I want you to get four large jars of water, or in American, water, and pour it out. Get another four, pour it out again. Another four, pour it out again. Now recognize this. The nation of Israel had not experienced refreshing for three years, no rain or no dew. Israel is a dry place to begin with. Could you imagine how precious water was? In fact, 
it would have been the most precious thing to the people of God. But in reinstituting true worship, Elijah simply said, take that which is most precious and surrender it to God. That's why I tithe. Because money way too easily becomes the biggest thing in my life. You know what stops that? At the start of every single month, cutting the biggest check that Lillian's cut every single month and trusting it to God. That's the reason I serve. I like preaching and I like doing churchy things, but my favorite thing is to volunteer and to lead my rally age small group. I don't have to do it. I wanna do it because I experience the presence of God like nowhere else when I find myself just saying no to worshiping myself and saying yes to serving others. And I just wanna prophesy in the name of Jesus that there are some people who haven't felt the fire of God for a long time and you're gonna feel it because for the first time in a long time, you all are bringing a sacrifice to the altar. What is it for you? Is it the tithe? I know things have been scary in the last couple of months. Job losses, market uncertainty. And some people have taken a step back and held tighter. Can I just speak this out in faith? Take that which you're holding onto so tight and get back into bringing the first and the best. Come on, back to the altar and watch the fire of God fall down and build your peace. Come on, and wreck any fear that is stealing your sleep. Come on, bring it back to God. Is it the fluctuating football season? I'm telling you now, bring it back to God. Instead of checking into Tiger Net first thing in the morning, check into the Word of God first thing. Come on, if you're there on a Saturday night, make sure, come on, you're there on a Sunday morning. Just make sure that it's just behind God because as you bring the sacrifice, then the fire will fall. No sacrifice, no fire, but when we worship God, come on, with our first and our best, let the fire fall. Fall. Come on, is there anyone here in this room right now who's ready to see more of God's presence? Come on, in the symbolization of fire in their lives. Come on, even right now in this room. And that's how we're going to wrap up our time together. We're simply going to bring our first and our best and we're going to put it behind God and rank Him number one. For my Latino friends, numero uno. And as we bring the sacrifice, I speak out in faith, fire fall. Come on, fire fall. We lift hands sometimes in worship, but it's not just to get a stretch while we're basically sitting in a room. No, we lift our hands because we're saying to God, whatever is really important in my life, I put it behind you, you are number one. And I'm just believing that on every single New Spring campus and even if you're watching at home online, we're going to step into some true worship as some idols in our lives are torn down and we institute what it really means to worship Him, to take our most precious and pour it out to Him. So in every campus, would you do this with me? Would you stand to your feet?
Would you close your eyes? And would you ask yourself this simple question? What is the biggest thing about you? Come on, don't let yourself off the hook by not asking or answering that question. If nothing comes to your mind, what would your wife say? What would your, what, what would your husband say? Come on, what would your best friend who tells you the truth say? What would your bank account say? What would your calendar say? What is the most important thing to you? Take that and as you lift your hands in worship, put it behind God and rank Him one. Come on, can someone do that with me today? Come on, we're just gonna put it behind God and we're gonna rank Him one. Jesus, I speak in your name, your presence, fire, fall, as some of us in this moment and in the days to come step into sacrifice afresh and anew, fire, fall, in Jesus' name. And all the true worshipers said, come on, they said, amen, let's worship God together.